Don't be silly. So I'm not a stranger to uh, all of you, but I am a stranger to some of you. So let me introduce myself by introducing my sermon. Um, I recently ran by my office on a Saturday to do some work really quick. It was going to be one of those 10 minutes in, 10 minutes out things. But lo and behold, my slide card wouldn't let me in the building. And so I tried multiple times, and I turned it every which way, and I couldn't get in. I was getting increasingly frustrated. I sort of decided that perhaps God didn't work, want me to work on Saturday. Uh, I was also having a certain nostalgia for a time when you could carry a key in your pocket that would actually open uh, a door. And as I was getting ready to leave, I decided, I'll try one more time. And uh, then I realized I'd been trying to get into the building with my credit card. Um, <laughs> which is a key to bottomless debt, but not to my office. Um, and uh, that tells you probably all you need to know about me and also uh, introduces my sermon. Uh, I want to give you the key to letting anxiety go. Uh I've heard we're in an election year. I try not to pay much attention to those things. Uh, I have paid enough attention to find out. I know what the platform of both parties is. It's fear. You should be more afraid of the other guys than you are us. So we have those garden variety anxieties that get fed all the time. But, but then we have the anxieties that are sort of peculiar to Christians. We have the anxiety that the church is going to wander off someplace where she should never be. We have the anxiety that, that the secular world is going to crush the bride of Christ. And we have that primal fear that somehow the church is going to get closed on our watch. And I want to relieve you of all that anxiety in the next 20 minutes. Um, as I have uh, gotten a bit older, uh, I have gotten interested in texts in the Bible, which I've always avoided. Not all of them, by the way. Um, and when I've generally talked about the Holy Spirit, I've talked about it from Paul, where I'm a little sure of my ground. Uh, but I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in John today, where I'm much less sure of my ground. We have a series of strange passages in John. And I'm just going to read them to you and look at some of the audacious claims that Jesus makes. And then, if we can believe them, we'll be able to let our anxiety go. Now, a quick thing about the writing of the book of John. Um, I... I went recently to see my financial advisor. I had been working on uh, all of my preparations for retirement. And I wanted to know if I was on track or not. And so she had taken all the figures. And I, I said, this is when I, when I want to retire. Is this going to work? And she says, you have a 75% chance of success. I said, 75%? And she says, yes. And I said, what are you calculating my death age as? 
she says, 93. And I said, don't do that. I'll take up smoking. Um, well, when I get to 85, I'll go for a hike and just keep hiking until I drop dead. There are things you can do to make sure you don't live to be 93. And I'm ready to do them all. Let's do 85. And all of a sudden, my chances of success go way up. It's all, it's all about when you decide the end is. Okay, here we are in the book of John. And the book of John is written probably around the year 85. Which is to say, if you're not about 93 years old, you don't see any of the events that John is asking you to base your faith on. It's basically a second generation document. Uh, that is, John is the only gospel that was written to people like you who did not see the events that he wants you to base your faith on. Not only that, but time's kind of stretching out. We've been at this for more than 50 years now. And, and pressure is starting to mount from Jews as it's become clear that Christians aren't just some odd sort of Jew. They're something else entirely. Getting kicked out of the synagogues. No sign of the coming of the Lord. And anxiety starts to rise. So, in the midst of that, John writes these words. Okay, I'm just going to read the Bible for a while. Is that okay? Do you do that? Do you do that here, Jared? Do you just sometimes just read the Bible? That's, that's what I resort to when I can't think of anything else to say. Um, I'm going to start in John 14, and I'm going to read some uh, uh, passages, and then I'm going to skip over. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Uh, come down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things... And will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave, leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be anxious. Uh, come down to uh, chapter 16 verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me where are you going. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All this belongs, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Um, Jesus here describes the Holy Spirit as the counselor. It's a really nice Greek word that contains both of the ways that we generally think of counselor today. Uh, we might think of a counselor as a lawyer, and it does carry that connotation. Uh, that is, if you are going to court and God is going to be the judge, who do you want to be your lawyer? I would choose the Holy Spirit. It also has that other connotation that we think of where you go to see a therapist, you go to see a counselor. If uh, your spiritual life's in a wreck and you want to go to a therapist or a counselor to help you, who do you want to go to? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your advocate. The Holy Spirit is your helper. The Holy Spirit is your counselor. He then makes three audacious claims about the Holy Spirit. And these are the sort of things when Jesus says them, you sort of have to not ask if they're true. You have to ask how they're true. Because your first reaction is, oh, that can't be true. But if Jesus is saying it, let's sort of assume it's true. And then let's try to figure out how. Uh, the first audacious claim that he makes about the Holy Spirit, he says, it is better for you if I go, because if I go, I will send the Spirit. And my first reaction to that is, I would rather have Jesus in the flesh. Okay, you're going to have that spooky Holy Spirit, I want flesh and blood. I am a sort of a Thomas apostle. I like to have the evidence in front of me, so to speak. But Jesus insists it's better if... For you, if I go, and I've tried to think about why that can be, or how that can be. How can that be better? But when you think about it, Jesus in the spirit, in his real presence, is better than Jesus in the flesh. Because when Jesus is in the flesh, there is always competition to get close to Jesus. Uh, now, let me point out a simple truth that when you drove to church this morning, everyone else who was on the road driving was your opponent. They are an obstacle and an impediment to you getting where you want to go. Because of physics, you know, things can only occupy one space at one time in one way, blah, 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 blah. Um, I want you to imagine that that person in your mind that you would like to have personal time with that you're probably never going to get it? Who is it you would like to really get close to? Um, uh, people like uh, Jared and I who abide in the theological world, preacher and academic types often say, N.T. Wright the world's greatest New Testament scholar. Uh, that's what my former preacher, Jonathan Stormont, would probably say. And um, it happened, I had, I had dinner one night with N.T. Wright. And I couldn't resist, I, I sent Jonathan a note, 
and I said, I'm having dinner with N.T. Wright, and he's asking about you. And he sent me a note back and said, really, is he asking about me? And I said, no, he's not asking about me. <laughs> and then I felt a little bad about it, but not sufficiently. Um, so I was later going to see the Denver uh, Colorado Rockies play, and that was the generosity of one of our former uh, for an alum, I was sitting like on the second row, and so I, I sent Jonathan a note and said, I'm sitting right behind the Rockies dugout, and they're asking about you. And he texted me back, and he says, yeah, that's probably because they know I'm so close to N.T. Wright. Uh, <laughs> that was a good response. So, okay, it's probably not N.T. Wright for you, right? But it's somebody, there's somebody you'd like to spend a little time with. And let us suppose that this person is at a banquet. And you want your little time with them, but there are 500 people there trying to get close to them too, and everybody there is a problem. This is the life of the physical Jesus. And if you read the Bible with any care, you see it. Always people trying to get close to Jesus. And there's also... Some people who get to get chummier with Jesus than other people do. Like Peter, James, and John who get to do all the fun stuff. Mount Transfiguration. Bartholomew's waiting down at the bottom. Peter, James, and John. You get to do everything. But when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, all of that changes. It is actually possible for all of you to be equally close to Jesus right now. In fact, in the image of the text, he is as close to you as your own breath. And there never need be a moment when you are out of his presence. And because of that, Jesus makes the audacious claim, I will not leave you as orphans. Um, orphan is a word that's almost totally fallen out of use today. It's a powerful word that pokes at the most primal fear of children. Um, one of the things that uh, a well-known American writer Stephen King does unusually well ending books is not a thing he does well but poking at childhood fears is something he does extraordinarily well and almost always while there are monsters out there, the real problem with the children is the adults are no help. Go back and read the books. You'll see. The notion of being left alone, having nobody who cares about you, nobody who's watching for you, is our most primal fear. 
And Jesus tells his apostles that even though he's going, he would never let that happen. I won't leave you as orphans. I'll stay as close to you as your own breath. Uh, and, then, and then he says uh, about uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. Now, that seems to have worked better for some of you than it has for others. What can he mean by that? If the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into all truth, if the Holy Spirit is going to speak only what Jesus gives him to speak, if the Holy Spirit's sole task is going to be to point them to Jesus, what does it mean that he will lead them into truth? And here we have to press hard. The center of the Holy Spirit's theology is not the Holy Spirit. The center of the Holy Spirit's theology is Jesus. The Spirit does not point to itself, the Spirit points to Jesus. The Spirit's job is to remind and refresh and reorient the church to Jesus Christ. And the promise here is the Spirit will do that. Um, I'm not a church historian uh, particularly I occasionally like to read uh, church history and uh, I agree uh, with the judgment that the definition of a saint is someone whose life has not been sufficiently researched um, I, I recently read a long book on Erasmus and uh, Luther that didn't just cover Erasmus and Luther. It covered almost every other Christian who ever breathed. And uh, by the end of the book, I felt, uh, I thought less of everybody. <laughs> I thought less of everybody. Uh, and it is amazing. That Jesus promises that through his Holy Spirit, he will take the damaged, broken vehicle of so-called saints and the church. And through that, he will redeem the world. Um, because I'm a theologian, people often want to ask, okay, what's sort of the, 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 the worst heresy going on in Christianity right now. And I, I do have an opinion uh, about that. And as far as I can tell, nobody agrees with me. Um, that's just because they haven't thought about it. Um, there, there is this kind of pernicious heresy that didn't exist in the first 1,800 years of the church that's crept into American evangelicalism in the last 200 years that has a low view of the cross and is very confused about the relationship of Israel and the church and it is a pernicious heresy. That is prompted by all, that is supported by all sorts of books about the rapture. Who declares that the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God so loved the world that he sent World War III. It's dreadful. Now, let me tell you the good news. 
the church will survive that too. It's actually survived worse. Because in ways that we never fully understand, God through the Spirit finds a way to guide the church back to Jesus. The church will not fall by internal heresy. It will not fall by the pressures of the outside world and authorities on the outside. It will not fall at all. The kingdom of heaven stands. You are a member of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is never in trouble. And this is Jesus' promise in the Holy Spirit. He will in time and in his way keep leading the church back to dead zero which is always Jesus Christ um, I, I really like uh, uh, I, I really like the the name uh, Church uh, of Christ I, not everybody likes it but I really like it I didn't like it when I was little because when somebody would ask me what I was, it was hard to say what I was. It's easier to say you're a Baptist than say you're a Church of Christ. That didn't sound quite right. And Church of Christ, er, that sounded even worse. <laughs> but whatever you call it, I want to be a member of a church of Christ. I want to be aware of where the head is. And Jesus' audacious claim is that the Holy Spirit will keep directing us back to that. When we start to get lost, the Holy Spirit says, okay, remember Jesus? Um, I don't have to go through the demographics of uh, Christianity in North America. They're terrible. Uh, we're doing terrible. And uh, it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. Okay, well, what do you do? Well, you do what the church has always done. You believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in leading us towards Jesus Christ. And we're faithful to that message. And good times come and good times go, but the kingdom of God remains. And what John is trying to do is reassure these second generation Christians, these Christians like you who didn't see the events that their faith is based on. That the Holy Spirit will be your reassurance. The Holy Spirit will be the one who will remove your anxiety because Jesus would never leave you as orphans and he's as close to you as your own breath and the Spirit consistently leads us back to dead center Jesus Christ. And here the kingdom of heaven remains. Um, I don't know about you, but... Uh, if I have to choose in placing my confidence in myself or the Holy Spirit, I think I'll take the Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and 
give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, world without end. Amen. Thank you, Randy. If you have a prayer need this morning, and we can pray for you in any way, our elders and shepherds are going to be out these doors. Uh, you may exit there uh, to pray with you during this time. So let's be standing together. Uh, they're going to work their way out there, and if you have a prayer need, feel free to go to them uh, as we sing together. The splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to it trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Son, the lion and the lamb. 